thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, before there was ever a president in this United States, before this country existed, before a lot of people knew this side of the world even existed, before there were kings or queens of England, before there was ever a Caesar in Rome, before there was ever a philosopher in Greece, God, the God, the only God made a covenant. He committed himself to one man and that man's descendants. And because of that commitment that God made to that man, it has resulted in your salvation. Praise God. That's, that's the God we serve. The God who committed himself, who said, I'm going to make a covenant with this group of people and no matter how hard-hearted they are, no matter how much they rebel, no matter how much they struggle, no matter how much they wrestle with me, I'm going to keep my promises and through this family, I'm going to bless all nations of mankind. His commitment has resulted in your salvation. And that's why this year we're saying as a group that we are committed to God. We're saying that in response to the God who committed all to our salvation, we commit all to Him, to His glory, to His cause, and to His people. We are committed to the people of God because God is and has been committed to our salvation. That those two things go hand in hand. Do we realize that? That a commitment to God and a commitment to His people go hand in hand. I'm afraid we live in a time where people have come to think about Christianity as if you could become a Christian, and that's one thing, and then you could become a church member, and that's a different thing. That you could be a Christian or a church member or a Christian and a church member, but that you don't have to be Both. But when we read the New Testament, we see that that's not the idea we get in Scripture. That to be a Christian, to be committed to Jesus, is to be committed to His people. In fact, I would even say that we are saved, reconciled to God, our sins washed away, we are forgiven, so that we can be a part of this people to whom God is committed. This people that God will raise from the dead to live forever. We are saved so that we can be a part of this group of people. That God wants everyone throughout the world to be a part of his global kingdom. Isn't that awesome, thing? God wants every single human being to be a part of his global nation, his kingdom. His family. That's what God wants for us. And when we are a part of that people, we commit to taking care of each other. And we say, we're in it together. We have all things in common. If you need something, I'm going to give you what I have so that you have what you need. I'm going to help take care of you and you're going to help take care of me. We are God's people and we're in this together. Because the world can be a scary place sometimes, can't it? We... A lot of times in our modern world, we're sheltered from a lot of the 
violence and the bloodshed and the horrible nature of the planet on which we live. This past week, I mean, I just, my heart was so heavy after the shooting in Florida, and I know that so many of you were as well. And I just can't help but think that the way that, the way that we felt after that happened and the way we feel every time that happens, that the early church suffered that kind of loss all the time. And even before it got so bloody and violent, the early Christians were suffering being ostracized from their own families, being misunderstood and mistreated by their communities. And as we've been talking about the last few months, it's not just in the early church that that was true. It's true right now throughout the world. People that live in communities and countries and nations and parts of the world that don't understand or appreciate Christianity and that families, fathers and mothers kick their children out of the family Sons and daughters ostracize their own parents. Brothers and sisters ostracize one another because they're followers of Jesus. And the church is supposed to be the safe haven. The church is supposed to be the harbor for those that are hurting, that say, come in. I know your family has kicked you out. I know you're being mistreated, but we're family. Come here and we will take care of each other. That was true in the first century, and it's true right now, and it's supposed to be true for each and every one of us that the church is supposed to be a safe harbor in a dangerous and painful world in which often we are not understood or appreciated or loved. The church is supposed to be the place where everybody can find love, can find safety, can find people that will watch our back and take care of us and help one another, and have all things in common. This morning I want to look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and we've talked about 1 Peter several times, and here's a letter that's being written to Christians that are undergoing some suffering. In fact, that's the key word in 1 Peter, is suffering, and they're suffering because of their faith, and it really hasn't even gotten bad yet probably in the Roman Empire, but Peter is writing to these Christians that are beginning to suffer the first of the persecution that's coming the way of the church. And I'm sure they're confused and they're heartbroken and they're they're saying, what's what's going on? Does this mean God doesn't love us? Does this mean we're not doing it right? Does this mean we're being punished for something? And, And Peter writes to them and says, no, your suffering isn't evidence. It's not evidence that God has turned his back on you or that God's not on your side or that you're doing something wrong. In fact, your suffering is evidence that you're done with the way of the world. The fact that the world is rejecting you is evidence that you're committed to being in God's family and doing things God's way and being done with the ways of the world. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you're suffering and you're saying, I'm so committed to Jesus that I'm going to do things his way and I'm willing to put my life on the line. As we talked about last month, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow him. It's obvious that you're done doing things the way the world does things. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
Verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do. It's, it's too late for all of that. That time is gone. You, you did that. You lived that way. You did those things. You went out and you got drunk and you partied and you worshipped other gods and you lived that life and you lived for pleasure. That's done. We're done with that now. Living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this... Those people are, look at the word he says, surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They talk bad about you. They put you down. They're shocked. Why don't you come and do what you used to do? Why don't you come and be who you used to be? Do you, you think you're better than us now? Some of you have experienced that, haven't you? You used to live that life and do those things and go those places and and be with those people and you enjoyed it and then you saw Jesus for who he was. And you were delivered out of that lifestyle and into a different lifestyle. And you love those people that were your friends. You you love them now more than you love them then. You you see things more clearly now and you want desperately for them to come out of that and into the light, but they don't understand. And they despise you. They don't like you. And you think, why? Why? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not, I I just love you and and I'm just not going to participate in that anymore. And I'm just done doing that. But I'm not trying to, to be cruel. I'm not saying anything rude. Why? Why do you hate me? Because I'm living a different kind of life now. I think sometimes we need to recognize that living a life of self control and sobriety is an affront to a life of hedonism. To a life that's lived for the passions and doing whatever you want to do. And really, it's an affront to the lies that people tell themselves, isn't it? Because it's easy to tell yourself the lie that I can't be happy unless I have this bottle. Or I can't be happy unless I do these things. Or I can't be happy unless I live this way. And then they see you and you're joyful even though you're not living that way. And it's an affront to their lifestyle. Even if you're not being rude, even if you're not saying anything about it. It's an affront to their lifestyle, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. And then he goes on to say in verse 6, For this is why, because Jesus will judge both the living and those who have died, this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Even to those, I think he means to those who are now dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. That when this life is over and this life has been lived and this fleshly body dies, then our spirit goes to be with the Lord and then on the day of resurrection we'll be resurrected and everybody will give an account for what they did while in the body. Then he says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded For the sake of your prayers, the end of all things is at hand. Sometimes it feels like evil is so entrenched. Sometimes it feels like the world is just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I've seen so much this week. Older people saying, it wasn't like this when I was a kid. When I was a kid, things weren't this bad. When I was a kid, these kind of things didn't happen. And you just feel like things are getting so much worse. I mean, I think Christian people have always agonized over the state of the world, haven't they? Not just Christian people, but God's people. 
Even Lot, when he lived in Sodom, it agonized him to see how horrible his city was becoming. And God's Word says, the end of all things that is at hand. All of this is coming to an end. All of the evil, and all of the wickedness, all of the murder, all of the racism, all of the hate, all of the bitterness, all of the fighting, all of it, all of the injustice, all of the horrible things that happen every day, it's passing away. I know it doesn't always look like it's passing away, but it is. We read in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, the world is passing away and with it its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We've got to live with this in mind, don't we? It won't always be this way. It won't always be this way. Every time the news comes on and you hear something horrible that's happened again. Every time your friends hate you because you don't do the things that they do. Every time you're misunderstood or mistreated or someone in the world suffers injustice, remind yourself that the end of all things is at hand. It won't always be this way. There's coming a time when forever justice will reign. When forever there will be no more injustice. When forever there will always be love and joy forever and ever and ever. The end of all of these things is at hand. It won't always be this way. So live your life with that in mind. Live your life To remind yourself that the forces of evil are no longer in charge. That they've been defeated whether they know it or not. The idols are powerless. The devil has lost. And Jesus has won. And Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the end of all things is at hand. And he says in verse 7, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. You see, that's That's how we wage war, isn't it? That's how we wage war. Prayer, self-control, sober-mindedness. Live your life that way. Because we've already won. Whether they know it or not, we've already won. And we have nothing to fear. Verse 8. Above all. I like those words, don't you? Above all. This is most important. Now get this. Okay, all that was just introduction. So you know the kind of world that they were living in. And he says, above all, above all of this, keep loving one another earnestly. This, this, keep loving one another earnestly. I know the people out there don't love you. And I know the people out there don't always like you. But we have to do our best to create an atmosphere in here where we love one another earnestly. And hopefully... Hopefully, those out there will see what's going on in here. And they'll see our love for one another. And they will know that we are followers of Jesus. Isn't that what Jesus said? They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And it's hard sometimes, isn't it? I know you're lovable, but other people aren't so lovable sometimes, right? I mean, I know you're good, but everybody else, I mean, they, they got some problems sometimes, don't they? I mean, it's, 
It's hard sometimes to love your Christian brothers and sisters, isn't it? I mean, sometimes. Amen. You've got to be honest sometimes. It's hard. Because they don't always see things the way you see things. They don't have the same experiences that you have. They don't vote the same way you vote. They don't have the same opinions that you have. The same perspective you have. The same experiences you have. And sometimes it's hard. But that's what Jesus is up to. He's saving you so that together, through the guidance of His Spirit, as laid out by His apostles, we create this kind of a kingdom that is worldwide and will never end. Where we create an atmosphere where everybody is loved. Where regardless of where they come from, regardless of their political affiliations, regardless of their past, regardless of their struggles, regardless of their proclivities, regardless of how they look, regardless of anything, they are loved amongst God's people. That's the will of God. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since, listen to this, since love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10 and verse 12, hatred stirs up strife. But love covers all offenses. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You got to put up with each other and people make mistakes and people fall short and people struggle and love overlooks things. Love puts up with things. Love bears all things. Keep loving one another earnestly. Our series this month is all about having all things in common. When God gives you something, He doesn't just give it to you for your benefit. He gives it to you for the benefit of God's people. To share with each other. But the greatest thing that we can possibly share with one another is the gift of forgiveness. Isn't it? God has forgiven you of so very much. You want to make a list of everything God's forgiven you of? You want to share that list with us? I didn't think so, right? I mean, you don't want to share that with us, do you? All the things God has forgiven you of? Forgive each other. God's given you grace and mercy and forgiveness. Share it with other people. Share it with your family. I mean, really? I've seen God's people sometimes be so incredibly forgiving and gracious and merciful and at other times so bitter and hold on to grudges. There is no place for holding on to grudges amongst the people of God. None. God's forgiven you of so many things and then your brother or sister snubs you once and you say, I'm done with them. I'm going to go over here where it's easier and I don't have to put up with people like that. Really? Where are you going to go? You don't have to put up with people like that. Where? I don't know of a place. I don't know a place in the world where you don't have to put up with people that are messed up. Put up with people that make mistakes and treat you badly sometimes. But I'll tell you, the people that will treat you the very best are amongst God's people. Perfect? No chance. Say things they shouldn't and do things they shouldn't? Absolutely. But God's overlooked a lot that you've done and you've got to do the same for each other. We've got to be willing to put up with each other. 
We've got to be committed to each other and say, no matter what, the same commitment that God had to my salvation, I'm committed to you. To have this kind of tenacity that says, I'm not going anywhere. The preacher may say some things I don't like sometimes. The elders may do things I don't like sometimes. The deacon may not do everything I want him to do. The person beside me on the pew may not always treat me the way I want to be treated. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm here and I'm committed to God's people. Why? Because God committed all to my salvation. And it changed me. And now the same forgiveness and love and mercy and grace that God has shown to me, I'm going to show it to His people. And we're going to create an atmosphere and continue to hold on to and maintain an atmosphere where everybody can find love and everybody can find mercy and everybody can find forgiveness. Look at verse 9. Now, here's a good word. I like it. Show hospitality to one another. Show hospitality. What does that mean? Hospitality. The Greek word here is actually a compound word. And it means brotherly love and strangers. Brotherly love for strangers. It means treating strangers like brothers. Especially amongst God's people. And, and, And here's the thing. There's some people in this room right now, because there's a lot of us. And there'll be more people at second service, and you probably know them even less. But they're your family, right? And you've got family all, all across this state, and all across this country, and all across this world. You've got family, and you may not know them. And they may be strangers to you, but show hospitality to them. Treat them like family. I could, I could tell you a million stories probably, but one came to my mind this morning as I was getting ready and thinking about it. I thought about when I was a teenager, I, we were at home one evening and we got a phone call and there was somebody up at the church building that was from a different side of the state and they were actually traveling through and their car had broken down in, in Colorado and Denver. They'd been driving in the mountains and they had a trailer. Anyway, long story, but they ended up kind of stranded in our hometown and, and we, we went down to the church building and they, they were our family, our brothers and sisters, Kevin and Sherry and their four kids and we didn't know them. We'd never seen them before in our life, but they're family. And we got to know them. And eventually, my parents actually drove out to Denver, Colorado, and drove their car back for them. You know what? That, that moment when they called us and they said, hey, can you help us? You don't know us, but you're a family and, and we need some help. It, it sparked a lifelong friendship. They eventually moved from Kansas to Missouri and then now down to Florida. I've been a guest in their home in each of the places that they lived. In fact, I had lunch with Kevin just last week. And and you know what? His parents and a couple of his cousins are members here at McDermott now. And I know them because they're my family. And it all started because they were in need and needed somebody to help them. That's what it is to show hospitality. To treat your family like family and your friends like family, and strangers like family. I mean, can you imagine what a bizarre, weird group of people we would be and how we would stick out in the world if we always showed hospitality to one another? I'll tell you, it's it's true, and I know it. I know that if I broke down, in fact, a friend of mine, preacher friend of mine, was in Indiana. He lives in Arkansas. He was in Indiana this weekend, hit an icy patch on the interstate, slid off the road and crashed into a tree. Thankfully, he and his family were all okay. But the first thing he did was get on social media and say, anybody know any Christians in this area? Because I know my family will help me out. I may never have met him before. I don't know him, but they're my family. 
and we're in it together, and we're going to spend forever together. Show hospitality. But look at this next phrase, without grumbling. <laughs> now there's where it gets tough, huh? <laughs> without grumbling. Why do we grumble? We grumble because we do something against our own will, right? And we do that sometimes, don't we? We do it, but we really don't want to do it. We do it because we feel obligated to do it. We do it because we feel compelled to do it. But, but the gospel says this. It says, listen, listen, let, let the love of Jesus and the Spirit of God so change your heart and your mind that you do it without grumbling. You do it without complaining. You do it joyfully. Why? Because you want to. Why would you want to? Why would you want to spend your own money and give up space in your own house and give up your own clothes and give up things you've worked hard for somebody you don't even know? Because that's what Jesus did for you. Because Jesus gave all for you. And it changes you, doesn't it? It changes you. It changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see your wallet. It changes how you see your house. It changes how you see your time. It changes how you see your family in Christ. You say, you may not live in the same country as me. You may not look the same as me. You may not vote like me. You may not have the same experiences as I do. You may not think like me or have the same opinions of me. But none of that matters. All that matters is that we are one in Jesus. We are family, and I am committed to you. And even if you don't always act the way you're supposed to, or even if I don't always act the way I'm supposed to, love covers a multitude of sins. We put up with each other, and we hold on to each other, and we hold each other accountable, and we encourage each other, and we admonish each other, and we teach each other, and we have all things in common without grumbling. Verse 10, as each has received a gift Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's grace is varied. And your gifts are different than their gifts. And some of you have money, and some of you don't. Some of you have houses, and some of you don't. Some of you have cars, and some of you don't. But you have something, right? You have a word. You have some time. You have some strength. You, you have some wisdom, you have some experience. You've been around the block a time or two. You have something to offer. God has given you a gift. And God's, God's grace is varied. He gives different people different kinds of gifts. And Peter says, whatever that gift is, whatever you've been blessed with, however God has blessed you, whether it's financially or emotionally or, or spiritually, however God has blessed you in his varied grace, use that gift to do what? To serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's not yours. Your wisdom? It's not your wisdom. God gave you that wisdom. Your experience? That's not your experience. God gave you that experience. Your knowledge? God gave you that. However, he gave that to you, whether it's through the lessons that you've learned, maybe you went to the school of hard knocks, maybe you went to a big university, maybe you, maybe you paid a lot of money, whatever it is, God gifted you with whatever it is that you have. Use it to serve one another as good stewards. It's not yours. It's His. You just got to manage it for a while. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. 
He gave you these things. Whether it's your words or your knowledge, your time or your strength, He gave it to you so that you could serve His people. And you know what? That means He gets the credit, not you, right? I mean, if, if, if somebody gives me $100 and says, Wes, I want you to pass this on to somebody, and they put it in my hand, and I take it over here, and I say, here, they wanted me to give you this. Now, you're going to thank me? I mean, you're going to give me a bunch of credit and say, yeah, I'm a good guy. I know, I know. I brought it all the way over here from, you, from them to you. And I know, I know. You know, we try to take credit. Even if that money came out of your bank account, God just gave it to you. You're a steward. If it's your house or your car or your time or your energy or a word that you speak. If you speak something that encourages somebody, you, you speak a word that lifts somebody up. You speak a word that builds somebody up. You speak a word that teaches somebody or admonishes somebody or helps somebody be a better person. You don't get to take credit for it. God gave you that. And you just passed it on to somebody else. You're just a steward of the words that you speak and the deeds that you do. All of those good things, God gets the credit. It says, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion Forever and ever. Amen. God's gifts just flow through us to his people, right? Isn't that what we've been talking about all month this month? That when in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 and in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, when God is taking care of his people, he takes care of his people through his people. And every single one of us, God has poured a gift into us so that it can flow through us to his people. And God is glorified. Here's what I want us to walk away with this morning. God is glorified when His gifts flow through you to His people. Think about what you could do today. Think about a word that you could speak to somebody today. Or how you could serve somebody today. Our second team just got back from Nicaragua. For the last few weeks, they've been down there serving people's medical needs and pouring foundations, pouring floors for people that had dirt floors, taking care of people, using people. But it was God's gifts that were flowing through them to others. And God is glorified when His gifts flow through you to someone else. That's that's all God's asking. Just don't stop it from happening. Just don't put a plug on that flow, right? Let it flow through you to other people. Because that's when God is glorified. When His gifts flow through you to others. And as we've been saying every week, McDermott Road is a place. And every congregation I've ever been to is a place where this is happening. Where God is taking care of His people through His people. God is being glorified through Jesus Christ by His gifts flowing through you to others. The question is, are you participating in that process? Are you speaking as the oracles of God? Are you serving by the strength that God supplies so that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ? Are His gifts flowing through you to others? Find a way today to use whatever it is that God has given you to bless others. Maybe it's in Bible class or maybe it's in the halls here. Maybe this afternoon when you go to life group, I hope you go to life group and you let God's gifts flow through you to someone else so that God may be glorified amongst his people forever and ever. Amen. There's somebody here this morning, and you're not a part of the people of God. You haven't been buried with Jesus in baptism. 
delivered from the old life, brought into the new life, and been added to the people of God, where your needs can be taken care of, and you can help take care of the needs of others forever and ever. If you haven't begun that journey, we invite you to be buried with Jesus in baptism. Or maybe you just need prayers. Every single one of us is going through something. And if we're honest, we should all come forward, shouldn't we? Maybe we should. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. If you want to come down when we sing this song or go back to the prayer room in just a moment with the shepherds, please don't walk away from here without experiencing God's love flowing through someone else to you so that in turn, God's gifts can flow through you to others. Let God take care of his people through his people. Come forward now as we sing this song.